Turn with me to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, if you're at your Bible. And guys, I would encourage you to. It's nothing wrong with using your phone Bible, but you should have a hard copy. You know, some days these phones are going to fail. And uh, bring your Bible to church. Flip through it. It it feels good. Romans 6, verse 1, the Bible says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin? The grace may abound. Certainly not. How shall we who die to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us were baptized into Christ, were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we've been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also Live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him, for the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies, that you should obey in its lust. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but you are under grace. Let's pray together. Lord, we do seek to understand what your word is saying, that we may live in the freedom that your word is providing. And I pray by your Holy Spirit that you would strengthen and empower in a way that I never could. And I ask that you would come upon me to articulate its truth now. In Jesus' name, amen. It is interesting that the Apostle Paul here has, in the first five chapters, really refuted everything that these people believed in. Not that when God gave the law to Moses, when God chose Abraham to be the father of the nations, that God messed up in his revelation to the nation of Israel. His revelation has always been that there would be a sacrifice, that there would be a Passover lamb. And you get this even from the first time that there was the shedding of blood in all of human history, in all of God's creation, 
Adam and Eve sewed fig leaves together that they may cover themselves, but when God had pronounced judgment on man, on woman, and on the serpent, then when he led them out of the Garden of Eden, he sacrificed an animal, no doubt a lamb, and covered them in animal skins. This was a picture of Christ, that the Lamb of God that was slain before the foundations of the world would come and provide a sacrifice, a payment for sin that we might once again, as Adam and Eve were, be reconciled to God and have an eternal hope in his presence. It's never changed. It's never been different. It's always been the same message, and everything regarding the Ten Commandments point to Christ. Everything regarding worship in the temple, from the candle uh, uh, stand to the you know, well, the menorah to the brazen altar to the cleansing and the washing to the worship to the holy place to the holy of holies. All that was a picture of Christ, but they missed it. They they did not miss it, by the way, because they could not understand it intellectually. They missed it because of their wicked pride that desired to exalt their own selves before God in their own keeping of the law, of righteousness, of moral behaviors. And now, in these five chapters that we've been learning over these couple months, we come to this portion where Paul once again is going to anticipate a major objection of the Jewish people, which by the way, and please remember this as I teach it, they are indicative of mankind. God would not focus so much on the doctrine of Judaism if it was not applicable to us this very morning. The Jews who are part of this religion called Judaism are indicative. They are, that is to say, they represent us, whether we be Jew or not. The same beliefs they hold may not be identical superficially, but they are completely relevant and similar foundationally. They may have the different doctrines superficially on the surface that we do in terms of their practices of the different clothes that they wear, but that's exactly the point. Their practices outwardly, the way they worship even today with the Sabbath keeping and all these different things, and the clothes they wear, it's exactly the point. That's the outward appearance. But inwardly, man is as wicked and the similarities are identical. It was pride that exalted the Jewish nation into a belief in Judaism that was absolutely an abomination to God. And that is to reject Christ. That, by, by the way, and oftentimes when we have Sunday morning worship, it's always tempting for me to just get into like lecture, like I'm a professor at a school rather than preaching, though by nature I'm a preacher, but, but, but to understand we're not here to, I'm not here to entertain you this morning. 
I want to make sure that every member of Calvary Chapel Eldoret are the most learned, biblically literate group of people in all of Kenya. That is my goal. And to understand what is going on here, in summary, because we have all this language that you can read, even these 14 verses that we're in this morning and be like, oh my, what is he talking about? Understand in summary that, that Paul is pointing towards Christ and Judaism and Islam and Mormons and the moralists and the atheists, they're all pointing towards man. That's in summary. And that is profoundly relevant to how we understand and how we relate to the law of Moses given to him by God. Profoundly important. In fact, can you imagine, and, and maybe some of us can relate to this, that everything that you ever believed in being destroyed by the truth. Maybe some of us were raised Muslims. And then you got born again and you had to now recalibrate and understand everything that I grew up with was a lie. And let me tell you something. If you did grow up with a Muslim, everything that you did grow up with is a lie. I, I, I make no qualms about this. It is a lie if anybody follows any other religion other than the person of Christ, which is a relationship over a religion. Why do I emphasize this? It's not that I just want to mention it all the time. It's relevant to this because, guys, Judaism, when you compare Catholicism, Judaism, Mormonism, Jehovah's Witnesses, or Islam, there are so many similarities. And the main one is man's exaltation to produce righteousness. That's the main one. We don't got to get complicated with this. It is man says, I will do what's right and I will be accepted. Well, is that a bad desire? Well, absolutely not. There are many as we would kind of standard, standardize good behavior, and I'm not talking about God's standard at all, because God's standard of righteousness condemns all people. But there are many people that if you just come into contact with, whether it be a Hindu or a Muslim or Jehovah's Witness, these people can be incredibly, um, I guess you could say, moral. They're not good people because the Bible says there's none good, not one. But as a, a standard of, of humans, they seem like very good people. Well, why is that? Because they are pursuing paradise. They're pursuing an afterlife of blessing and righteousness gets them that. And understand that what Paul is doing here is he came in this book of Romans, and has destroyed that notion. He has destroyed everything they've ever believed in. And it is not easy. Paul recognizes that. He's not trying to be insensitive. He's not trying to come in and yell at everyone like, you're wrong, you're following a wrong religion. You're wrong, you're following a religion. That's not the heart of God 
And that's not the message of Paul. Paul's coming in saying, yes, you're wrong, but understand something that what you're wrong about, you're actually wrong about because truth is truth and lies are lies. And the truth is that God, his son and the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ is our creator. We've been disconnected from him. We've been estranged from him, separated from him. Just a few short years ago, Adam and Eve lived. Guys, time. As I said last Sunday, Methuselah, who's the oldest person in human history, recorded living over 900 years. I don't quite remember. I think it's like 972 years. You know, when he was like 920 or 970, he's about to die. He's like, man, that went by fast. Golly, time just flies by. I was, I was 200 yesterday. Just a few short years ago, man fell in the Garden of Eden. And this is the result of it. That darkness. How do we connect with God again? How do we become reconciled? How do we have an eternal hope? Well, every other religion says to just do what's right. And Paul comes along here in five chapters and says, well, we appreciate the effort in trying to do what's right. Here's the problem. If you have sinned in one area of the law, you've broken the whole law. You're guilty before God. God can't allow guilty people to to not be in prison. God can't allow guilty people to go to heaven. Except if their guilt is paid for. If there was blood that was shed. Because there is only the remission of sins through the shedding of blood. Then, but, but, but it's not anybody's blood because lambs won't do it. Human beings shedding of blood won't do it because that blood is contaminated with sin. It has to be a perfect sacrifice. That's the only way. A completely perfect, holy sacrifice. Well, God's the only one. Therefore, Jesus Christ, God made flesh, comes into the space-time. I I was going to say space-time continuum, but I don't want to sound too much like a nerd this morning. It's like a Back to the Future quote with Doc, if you ever saw the movie. Space-time continuum. Well, he did. Jesus came in, and he did not sin one time. Not even a thought. Therefore, his blood is not contaminated. And as it's poured out as the payment for all sin, being completely sufficient for all sin, we now can be reconnected. This is the gospel, guys. People who grew up in Islam, people who grew up in Hinduism, people who grew up in more, we need to spread the message, not in hate, but we say, listen, we appreciate the effort, but understand, if you don't believe in the only sacrifice that has ever been given for the justification of man's sins, you can't know God. You can't know Him. C.S. Lewis would say these kinds of things. He'd say, if there were a hundred ways that God could save man, he would save them a hundred ways. If there were 50 ways, if, if there were two ways that God could save man, then he would save them in two ways. 
When God says there's only one way, that's because there's only one person who could ever pay for sins. Nobody else. Nobody else has enough resources. Nobody has enough righteousness. Nobody has enough holiness to pay for sins, which is perfect holiness. So Paul comes in in these five chapters and he destroys everything they've believed in about being righteous, about having an eternal hope through their righteousness. We don't need to get into all the details of Judaism to know the foundation of of what they believe, which is completely a lie. And and, and now Paul in chapter 6, in verse 1, now he is going to begin by anticipating one of the most major objections that the Jews or any other person in humanity could make. Paul is advocating the breaking of God's law. He just said in chapter 5, what we studied last week, remember what it said. It said in chapter 5, in verse 20, where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So, the Jews who are already really upset with Paul because Paul put them in the same category as the pagan, as the Gentile, as the religious Roman, as the religious Greek. And now he's saying where sins abound, grace abounds much more. And you have to understand that everything these people believe in is about not sinning. Not sinning is like, no, we're better than them. We've never murdered. We've never lied. We've never stolen. We've never committed adultery. We're better than them. Don't tell me for one second that we have spent our entire lives obeying these commandments and they get to be born again and they've broken all the commandments. They get to go to heaven. They get to know Yahweh. They get to know Jehovah God. Don't tell us that. Paul hates God's law. Paul is saying that we should continue in breaking it. We should continue to sin. And that's why in chapter 6, in that anticipation, not just through sure discernment, but that is the objections they're making towards him in all of Paul's ministry for the religious person. And he says, what what shall we say then? Verse one, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Absolutely not. Certainly not. And now what Paul is going to do is he's going to define, describe, teach us the truth about what it means to live under the law and what it means to live under grace. Living under the law produces death because of sin. Living under grace produces life because of Christ's righteousness. That's what Paul's teaching. And, and, And he says, no, I'm not saying now because sin, where it abounds, grace abounds much more. So let's just go on sinning. We'll be forgiven. Let's break the law. Let's go party. I mean, where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. That is, the more I sin, the more God forgives me. The more I sin, that's not what Paul's advocating for at all. Quite the opposite, by the way. But 
The means by which we achieve righteousness still can't be in law keeping. And that's why we're not under it as we read and we'll finish up with today the last verse there, verse 14. Paul is now mentioning the name of Christ as it relates to the successful Christian life in righteousness because Christ is the only way we can attain that. Essentially what he's doing, guys, this is so important as he's saying, you can't do it. Not only can you not do it unto salvation, this is not the way you're born again, you can't do it after salvation. So don't think for one second, it's okay, he's right. We can't get saved by law keeping. But after we get saved, we are going to keep focusing on the law keeping. We're going to make sure we're righteous in our law keeping after we're saved. He's refuting that now. Very interesting. And this is how he does it. He says, or do you not know? Do you not know this, that as many of us were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? He sounds a lot like Jesus Christ when Jesus Christ spoke to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. Do you remember when Jesus Christ spoke to Nicodemus and Nicodemus was asking him how to have eternal life? How can somebody be saved? And Jesus says, you got to be born again. And Jesus says, or do you not know how do you not know this? And you're a teacher of Israel. You know, isn't that interesting? It proves what I'm trying to say today, ladies and gentlemen, that this has always been the case. Nobody could ever save themselves and nobody can sustain themselves. Which is going to become vitally important to this teaching today. That's his point. But, but, but Paul, in similar speech, is like, Wait, you don't know this? Or do you not know this? How do you not know this? The same that Jesus would say. He taught it from the beginning. He sacrificed an animal, probably a lamb, to cover Adam and Eve. How do you not know this? Or do you not know that as many of us were baptized into Christ, were baptized into his death, Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of death, his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we should also believe with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over us. It doesn't dominate us. So Paul says, or do not know this. And now he brings in that the way we die to sin, which by the way, the Bible is teaching us not to continue in sin. Nobody has ever advocated for sin. There was uh, here at this church in terms of leadership. It's like, oh, we're filled with grace. Oh, yeah. You know, one of, one, one of the uh, staff members here, you're, 
you're getting drunk every night at TMT. Ah, well, you know what? We're filled with grace. <laughs> it's no problem. I mean, you probably shouldn't, but just if you do it again tomorrow, know that God will forgive you. That's not how we behave here. It's like, oh, it, it, you know, it's not like somebody's saying, hey, listen, I'm born again. I'm saved. And, but I have an overactive sex drive. And I know you probably didn't hear the word sex growing up in Kenya at church too often, but just bear with me. It's like I have an overactive sex drive. I mean, God understands who I am, you know. My wife can't fulfill my, my sex drive. You know, she's just not able. I need multiple prostitutes. Just God understands. And where sin abounds, grace abounds much more, praise the Lord. It's like, well, you can't help it. He has an overactive sex drive. What, God can't forgive him? That's not how we behave. Or you're like, you know what? I just really have a problem liking people. In fact, I hate people. And, and I like blood, you know? I'm born again where sin abounds, grace abounds much more, but I just have to kill some people sometimes. I'm just going to go kill them. And just like, well, what can we do? He, has, he likes blood. You know, God loves him. God forgives him. And, and, and there are people who think that not living under the law advocates for such um, beliefs and attitudes and behaviors. It's ridiculous. And, and there was a gentleman hundreds of years ago by the name of Gregory Rasputin, a horribly wicked man who was a preacher. And that's what he preached. He said, listen, where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. Go do whatever you want because God will forgive you. That, ladies and gentlemen, is not being born again. That's, that's the opposite of knowing Christ. That's the opposite of being born again. Habitual sin, which habitual sin, by the way, is believing you can sin and be right with God. It's believing sin is good. It's a Gnosticism that your spirit's not connected to your body and you can do whatever with your body that you want. Now, Paul does not teach such a thing. God does not desire such a thing from us. Very important we know that. But Paul is still preaching. We are not under the law. And by the end of the day, if you don't already know this, you will know this. We just need six more hours with you. No, we don't. He's, 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 he's teaching us the very answers by which we can overcome sin. That answer is Christ, and we're going to know that. But he, but he says it's the death of Christ, it's the burial of Christ, and it's the resurrection of Christ. And, and, and you got to follow me on this, because this is really brilliant what the Bible's doing. He says, okay, don't you know that when Christ died, now he gave us in a kind of supernatural way that is hard to grasp, the, 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 the ability and the power to have, to have death in our life. And we desperately need it. We all need to die. And we need to die unto salvation. But guys, what he's teaching is we have to die after salvation to sin. And the power that we have to die after salvation unto sin is the power of Christ's death. Because Christ was dead, we are baptized 
in his death. We have the power through death not to sin because sin must be killed in our life. It must be killed. And the way that it's killed is through the death of Jesus Christ. Listen, it's mysterious to me too. I, I, I can't fully articulate how we apply that to, okay, stop doing this and stop doing that, but I can't say this. To illustrate it, I tried to stop drugs, especially heroin. Oh my, I, I did all the drugs, but heroin was my favorite. And I tried to stop it. And, and understand, it's interesting what the Bible's doing. Those who are under the law in obedience to it brings death because you can't obey it perfectly. Those who focus on being under the law will die. And those who want to sin also will die. But what's interesting about sin is we don't go to try to sin to die. We go to try to sin to live. Our, our, our problem, ladies and gentlemen, is our view of sin. This is so brilliant. This is so important. Our problem, let me repeat it, is our view of sin. When I was doing drugs or when I was prideful, when I was selfish, when I was drunk, I was trying to live, man. You know, this party. When, when these people go out into the world and they're like, let's go get drunk. Woo, let's go meet some chicks. Woo, do you call them chicks in Kenya? Let's go do it. They're not, they're not doing that to die. They're doing it to live. They're like, let's go live, man. But what they don't understand is they have a wrong view of sin because that's death. That's death. That brings death. Both physically and spiritually, by the way. It brings death. Now, when I tried to quit heroin, I tried. I realized. It's like I was trying to live by the pleasure of drugs, but I'm dying. I'm not looking so good. I've overdosed 10 different times on fentanyl and heroin. I'm not looking so good. I'm going to try to stop. Problem is, I was still alive while I tried to stop. See, if somebody came to me and says, Josh, you want to stop doing heroin? Say, yeah, I want to stop. You got to die. It's like, I don't even know what that means. Well, let's just take it physically. If somebody comes up to me, takes a gun, puts it to my head, blows my brains out, I fall on the ground dead, and they come up to me and say, hey, Josh, you want some heroin? Can I take the heroin? No, because I'm dead. Reckon yourself not to obey the law. I got to obey the law. I got, I got to stop doing heroin. Reckon yourself to be dead to sin. How do you do that? Well, I believe the answer is here, but it's still mysterious. I, I, I don't have the intelligence, ladies and gentlemen. My, my mind's too finite to be able to articulate perfectly this mystery, but I do know what it's saying. How do you reckon yourself to be dead? To be alive in Christ. That's how. It's like, well, that doesn't do much more for me, Pastor Josh. It still is confusing when you said reckon yourself to be dead. 
Well, here's the deal. Okay, we know that if I get shot in the head and I'm lying dead on the sidewalk, I can't have heroin. Because I'm dead. No longer am I tempted with heroin. Because I'm dead. Then the answer is reconcile, reckon yourself to be dead. To sin because he died on the cross and alive in Christ because he's raised from the dead. So, so we know that the answer to righteousness, the, the answer to walk in holiness, which is in, in keeping God's commandments, is Jesus Christ. It is Christ. Well, okay, it says for, for he who has died been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we should also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over us. For death that he died, uh, Christ, he died, Christ, to sin once and for all. But the life that he lives, Christ, he lives to God, Christ. Likewise, you also reckon yourself to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God, Christ, and Christ Jesus our Lord Christ, I mean, if we were to count, it refers to Jesus Christ probably 30 times in these 14 verses. So I'm getting the feeling that the answer to a fruitful, successful, righteous, holy life after salvation is Jesus Christ. That, that's the answer. That's, the, that's the, the doctrine that we're getting today. I mean, look how many times it refers to him. Paul is like putting the hammer on the nail and, 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 and nailing the coffin shut that this doctrine is completely sound. You cannot live under the law before salvation because it points towards sin and you can't live under the law after salvation because it points towards sin. Therefore, verse 12, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey in its lust. And do not present yourself members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourself to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God, for sin shall not have dominion over you. And, and, and guys, understand, all of these verses lead up to this point especially verses 12 through 14. It's, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Okay, that's one. That you should obey it. Two, do not present yourself members to sin. Three, but present yourselves to God as members of righteousness. Here's the key. Because we're not under the law, but under grace. So those of you who are under law, you're presenting yourselves to sin. Those of you who are under the law, you're obeying its lust. And you say, okay, well, I can see that, but what do you mean? Well, let me tell you, because this is very important. Being under the law is pursuing righteousness for righteousness sake. It's pursuing good deeds for good deeds sake, which puffs up man to be prideful and pride always leads to sin. But when you're pursuing uh, grace, when you're living under grace, 
What are you pursuing? Or rather, who are you pursuing? Jesus Christ. That's the answer, ladies and gentlemen. Why aren't we under law? Because if we focus on that, okay, don't, don't lie. You're presenting yourself to the possibility of lying. Don't, don't do this. Don't do that. Don't do this. Don't do that. Do this. Do that. It's just a checklist. That's what your religion is, whether or not you're a Protestant Christian or a Catholic or Muslim. Same thing they're doing. You just blah, 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 blah. Don't do this. Don't do that. You're living under the law, man. It's like uh, having a, a, being tempted with, with alcohol and just going to buy a John, Johnny Was, Walker bottle of whiskey, taking it home and staring at it saying, I'm not going to drink you. I won't do it. You just sit there. I won't do it. Until one day you had that checklist of not drinking and you had a really bad day. Instead of running to where you should, being under grace, which is running to Christ, you're under the law. You got the bottle of Johnny Walker and you're like, I'm not supposed to drink you and I know I'm not, but it's a really hard day. Is the law bad? Absolutely not. It's a reflection of God's nature. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. It's not the point. Obedience to the law without love is impossible. And when we stand on grace as the foundation of our faith, and we stand under grace as the head of our faith because Jesus Christ is head of the church and he's the rock of our salvation, then through love we obey the law, not through trying to keep the law in just obedience sake. Does the Bible say, obey me, period? It says, if you love me, you will obey me. And love is produced through grace, not through religious adherence to God's law. Does it make sense? This is wonderful, guys. This is probably the most important message you could ever receive in your life. Especially as somebody who's already been born again. How are we sustained? We are not sustained by being under the law. We are sustained through a loving relationship given to us through the possibility of grace. We are not under the law. We're under grace. Love is the answer. And what does the Bible say? Love the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. For this is the law and the prophets. Why does he say that? Because if you're loving, you're not lying. If you're loving, you're not getting drunk. If you're loving, you're not in sexual immorality. Love is the answer. And it's only produced through grace. It's only produced through a relationship. Do you see what the Bible's doing? It's saying, don't present yourselves to become members of unrighteousness, of sin. And how do we present ourselves? When we're just focused on the law. Don't do it. Okay, I, okay yeah, I needed Jesus to save me, but I'm still going to focus on the law. I'm looking at the law. Don't do it. You're presenting yourself to sin. You can't accomplish not sinning that way. How can you really be righteous? You come over this, you live under grace, and you say, I'm looking at Christ. He's the author and finisher of my faith. 
Yes, of course. Guys, I've taught my kids the Ten Commandments. Of course. But I can tell you this. If I make the faith that I have in Christ about keeping the law with my kids instead of introducing Jesus Christ to my children, they're in big trouble. And I won't do that with my church either. I'm here to tell you this morning, don't focus on what you're not supposed to do and what you're supposed to do as much as you are abiding in the presence of Jesus Christ. Guys, when you're with Christ and he's leading you, it's like, oh, you ever see a a son follow his father around? Especially when he hits a certain age, around three or four or five, that's when when the, the boys always are looking for their dads. Where's dad? Where's dad? My son wants to do everything I do. If I like a sport, he likes the sport. Whatever activity I like, he likes. (laughs) Everything that I do, Zephaniah wants to do. He's just, and, and by the way, I don't know if he's in here. He, this is just like has nothing to do with the sermon. Well, no, I'll, I'll apply it somehow. He is surprisingly, like strangely gifted at sports. He has a hand-eye coordination that is off the charts for a nine-year-old. He's beating adults at cornhole. This is a game that we have in America that we brought to Kenya. He could go out and golf and beat many adults who golfing. I can guarantee it. I've seen him hit a 150-yard drive this last week. On my day off. Guys, it's amazing. It's actually phenomenal. Do you think for a second that Zeph learned how to do this by sitting at home, being away from his dad, reading a book about golf? About sports? You who are sportsmen know that reading a book is not going to train you efficiently how to play sports. You got to play. You got to practice. So he could sit there at home and read every book he ever could find, which I have at least five of them at home about golf. But he's not going to go hit a 150-yard drive. What's he doing as a nine-year-old? I'm right by his side saying, you can do it, Zeph. Yeah, I'm teaching him the law of the mechanics of golf. I'm with him. It's like, hey, you got to hold your hands this way. You got to swing this way. He's left-handed. He's like, all right, all right. But, but what's the point? He's with his dad while doing it. This is the whole point Paul's making, guys. We got to be reconnected to our creator, Jesus Christ, and our savior and our sustainer. And instead of focus on all the religious things, guys, all the religious things, we are with our best friend, Jesus Christ, and our Father, God the Father. Every day, we're just following him. We're just like, hey, I want to hang out with you today. I want to pray. Here's my prayer. Oh, you want to speak to me? I'm doing Bible reading. Oh, Lord, thank you for speaking to me. I prayed today, and you're guiding me, and you're leading me. Do you think Jesus is going to lead you to adultery? You think he's going to lead you to Johnny Walker? 
I don't care if he has a nice stick. Do you think Jesus is going to lead you to any of these things? He's not. And the point is, don't do this. Don't. That's not the point. The point is you're following Jesus. As a little boy follows his father. Every single day you're following him. You're walking with him. I hope you can see the difference in being under the law and under grace. Being under grace doesn't mean we get to break the law. Being under grace means we have the strength to walk in the obedience of God. Why? Because we're with him. We're with him. What's a sign that you're walking in the law? You never pray. What's a sign that you're walking in a religious tradition of going to church? You never read your Bible at home. Because here's the point. You have no relationship with Christ if you're not speaking to him and he's not speaking to you. And that is the key to righteousness. That's the key to holiness is you just follow wherever Jesus Christ goes, wherever the Holy Spirit leads. Do you get the, do you get the point, church, that I'm trying to make today? The Bible's trying to make it. It's not my point. He wants you to live under grace, not to law. Why? Because he wants you to be with him. He wants you to be with him. He wants you to follow him. Acknowledge the Lord and he shall direct your path. Love is the key. Loving Jesus. If you really love somebody, you'll speak to them. I hope as the worship team comes up that today you can see the difference in being under a religion or being in a relationship with God. There is a massive difference, church. And if you are just trying to adhere to the law, as noble as that is, you cannot do that. You cannot do that. You cannot be sustained by that without just being with Jesus Christ every day. Waking up in the morning, oh Lord Jesus, I need you today. Be with me, Lord. Guide me today. All right, I need your word. I'm going to read. I'm going to spend... I'm going to spend some time reading some Bible. Lord, you've spoken to me. We're together today. We're together. I'm going to walk with you. Guys, is that being under the law? No. That's being in a relationship. That's walking under grace. That's what God wants for you. And you can always tell, sorry, I got to go to church. I got to do this. I got to do this. Well, of course, we should do the things we should do. But more than any of it, we're walking in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ wants you to be closer to him today. If you're not praying, you're walking under the law. I want you to know that. You'll have no strength to sustain your life. And I am telling myself that because there can be time periods where I don't pray. We need to be in a relationship with Jesus Christ. He didn't tear the veil through his death on the cross so that you could go back and be under the law. He tore the veil so you could enter into the presence of God. I hope this makes sense. This is vitally important and foundational to a real faith 
in Jesus Christ, having a real Christianity. Listen, we do baptisms in third service. If you need to be baptized, I don't care if you've signed up. You come back for third service, we're going to baptize you around 12, 15, 12, 10. But I encourage you, have a relationship over religion. It's the difference in being under the law or under grace, which is a loving relationship with Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you. Lord, even as we give our offering, it's not because of a law. It's not because, I mean, surely you revealed to us that we should give, but we give because we love. May that be the testimony of our lives. I pray you pour out your spirit as we sing and grant us wisdom through the administration of these loving gifts that we may expand your kingdom. And Lord, I pray you'd start pouring out your Holy Spirit as we prepare for even a couple thousand people to be on this property in just a couple weeks. Pour out your spirit, Lord. I pray you'd keep the rain away for those sessions that the Bible is being taught. And I pray, Lord, that you would be glorified. Forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of unrighteousness. We ask all of this in Jesus' name, amen.